On 1116 SEN, the Four Diegos. G'day, amigos, and welcome to the Four Diegos here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Rodrigo Rodriguez with you on this uh, Wednesday night edition of the Four Diegos. Uh, World of War Diegos from today onwards, <laughs> uh, on tomorrow night, Friday night, and Saturday night. So uh, strap yourselves in for, for the Diegos. Hey, thanks to Brett Phillips. As always, a fantastic show, and you can catch Brett uh, from tomorrow at 6 p.m. Um, Vinny Venezuela, welcome to you, and uh, very nice job on the weather, by oh, the way. Gee, I, I think I found a new calling, yeah. Rodrigo. I think Warren needs to be very nervous. Uh, Warren's not here, in fact, because uh, it's his week off uh, this week, and he, he saw that we had four shows in a row <laughs> and decided that uh, this was a good time to take a holiday. Carlos, yep. welcome. How are you, mate? He goes to Craigieburn for his holidays <laughs> with the family. <laughs> He's like uh, the guys from the castle. That's right. Is it the castle? or Yeah, it was a castle yeah, where yeah. they just go off in their little boat with a little lake there in Craigieburn <laughs> and hangs out. That, that, uh, that house is being apparently moved to Corowa in is New it? South okay. Wales. I thought it was um, heritage listed. No, well, it's okay. not apparently. But okay. anyway, that's, that's very uh, interesting. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure if they're stopping it, but, uh, <laughs> but it's moving to New South Wales as a bit of a tourist attraction. Okay. Fantastic, really. Can I just, speaking of touristy things, uh, there's a big Elvis festival, I think, happening in parks. Oh. That's all interconnected because the working yeah. dog people did the, the, the castle the film and the dish. Yes. Okay. And because uh, we do the Elvis uh, song at the start of our show, <laughs> that's why. Yes. I it means I'd something. Continue that yes. little bit of fun fact trivia. There's Absolutely. a link. There is a link. <laughs> There's a link. Hey, welcome to the show tonight. Thanks for your company. We've got uh, Mike McGrath coming up a little bit later on. We'll take your text messages, of course, on 0433981116. And we're also very, very shortly going to speak to a name that's familiar to all football followers, Kaz Patafta, who we're finding in Laos... Uh, Have we ever been to Laos before? Has anyone ever been to Laos before for a radio interview? No, well, I haven't. Um, <laughs> I certainly haven't, so this no. is a first. So we're yeah. going to catch up with uh, Kaz and find out what he's up to mm. at the moment. Still only 28 years old, so stay tuned for that around uh, five minutes' time. So uh, so it's, we're going to have a fantastic... We're going to talk about World Cup expansion, of course, uh, very, very shortly. It's uh, 10 past 11. I heard Yes, hold up your lighters or your matches. It's time for a bit of Disco Inferno. With the four. Rodrigo's Q&A, uh, very confidently said by me, speaking in the third person. But, uh, hey, guys, uh, there was some big news, of course, overnight. Gianni Infantino, the uh, new boss of uh, FIFA, decided to put his stamp on the World Game, of course, mm. by announcing that uh, the World Cup from 2026 will be expanded to 48 teams from the way it is now at 32 teams. And... Uh, has been a, a diverse mm. a variety of opinions, hasn't there? It's exciting, Rodrigo. So many more brown paper bags full of cash <laughs> coming FIFA's way. Surely. Uh, Carlos, what are your thoughts here? So we're talking about 16 groups of three, just to get the yeah. mechanics out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Two teams yeah. will go through to the next phase. Yep. If there is a draw in any of the initial group games, yep. there'll be a penalty shootout yep. um, to decide you know, who actually will go through. And the, th- and the group of 32 yep. will be a knockout phase. Yeah. I get excited by the fact that 
as we take a tour to every World Cup, oh, yeah. we've been to the last two, going to Russia too, yeah, with yeah. the Rubles, Ruse and Ruskies tour. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're going to go to Russia. Uh, we're going to get 16 more, at least 60 oh. more parties that we'll be running into and maybe you know have a little bit of a dance-off at the, at the discos there in Russia. Uh, not in Russia, uh, in 2026 will probably be, be US, probably. US somewhere, yeah. yeah. Look, I'm proud to announce tonight that the uh, tickets for the uh, world, uh, the Diego's World Cup Tour of 2026 go on sale. <laughs> <laughs> because we will go yeah. to the, every World yep. Cup from now on. Yep. I've got to think of the name of the tour, though. <laughs> That's right. Let's, let's think of that, that You've got to put Trump in it somehow. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, we'll be going to, yeah, you're right. We'll be going to every World Cup. Um, especially, look, it's, can, it's can we call that one the FIFA paper bag World Cup? <laughs> well, they, they all are. They all are. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. Interesting. You know, I have I rarely have an opinion about what happens at FIFA these days. Why have an opinion? We we have no we have no impact on what they do. We have no say. Mm. From the time they took away, remember when we were in Oceania and they announced to the world that suddenly Oceania get direct entry. This is this is like in the nineties, right? Oceania got direct entry to the World Cup, and we're all celebrating. We're thinking we're going to go to the World That's Cup, right. and then about two months later they took it away from <laughs> That's us. Right. Since that time. I just I just feel like a little speck on the in the universe of FIFA and world football and we have no say. So I just sit back whenever an announcement like this happens and I just watch everyone else's reaction. Yeah. From Mark Bosnich's today which and was a, positive. Very positive. He's yeah. really wrapped that there's more teams going, a more a lot of more uh, you know teams that would never get the opportunity and players would never get opportunity and even fans who would never watch their their teams play on TV in their own countries, playing in the World Cup. He's really rapped about that. But then you get you know people like uh, Ray Gatt, um, the uh, the journal for the Australian, well respected. He's totally against it. Thinks it's disgraceful. Uh, Daniel Garbs, another one for Fox Sports, thinks it's disgraceful. Paul Wade, uh, former captain of the Socceroos, thinks it's disgraceful. So you know, for me, you know, put put the politics. You know, put the politics aside and the fact that FIFA make, you know, uh, budgeting for an extra $1.4 billion or euros uh, as profit on top of what they're already making for World Cups. Put all that cynical stuff aside. I'm just wrapped that there's going to be the possibility that Malta might make the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. Or, It'd be fantastic if we draw a group. Yeah, with, with Malta. Malta. Can you imagine some, you know, people in North Sunshine? They'd go off, <laughs> oh, completely go off. Yeah, I mean, just a chance for these teams <laughs> that would never, ever get an opportunity to, to, to go to a World Cup. They have a chance, and for me, and their fans. Can you imagine? I mean, we, were, we felt we were hardly done by where we didn't get to a World Cup for 30-something years, and, and, but you know, Malta's never been. No. So, uh, you know, for me, it gives their... A, 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 Countries like that a chance to go. Carlos, do you think we might see Malta, Liechtenstein, and um, <laughs> San Marino in yeah, a group? Yeah, quite possibly. Absolutely. Can you imagine? And maybe they should deliberately not seed these groups. Just have just who just pull them out of a you know a barrel, hot and cold balls and whatever they do, and uh, and just just throw them in the mix, and you might get. You know, three teams like that. Who I'll tell you what, I'd rather watch those three at that early stage, at the forty-eight. You know, team stage than uh, than any of the big teams because the big teams will be saving themselves for games down the track. Absolutely. When I first heard about this, I, I rolled my eyes like like everyone did yeah. when FIFA decided to make a big change like this. You think, you know, how can you trust FIFA? <laughs> Why would they, you know, change mm, yeah. the sacred cow, which it is, the cash cow, yeah. which it is? What yacht were they on when they made that decision? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how did it happen? But you know, if if you look at it. You know, on the surface, you, you think that the growth in in this region, in particular, over the years, is is been astronomical. So, you know, I'm sure that that's 
what happened, you know, yep. to cater for the for the countries on this side of the world. I'm talking about Asia and Africa yep. as well. Um, you know, compared to Europe and South America, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of those countries will say, "Look, why don't you just give that region two yep. of our two of our spots?" I'm sure that did not happen. So this is a very pragmatic decision from yeah. FIFA, I think. And by the way, the TV rights no. for this are going to be astronomical. That, that's where the money, that's where the extra billion dollars, $1.4 billion comes into it. And look, you know, the naysayers, are, their argument against it, of course, is it probably dilute the, the quality that goes to World Cup. And, you know, some of the players are th- probably thinking of how it's such a big achievement to even qualify. Well, it might not be such a big achievement because you can probably qualify fourth in Asia, fourth or fifth in Asia, and still get through under this new model. But for me... Yeah, okay, it could dilute it or whatever, but it'd still be exciting for teams to get there. And for me, it's more important for people all around the world to experience what we have. There's some countries, many, many countries, most countries have never qualified for a World Cup. We know what that's like. Uh, prior to 74 and then, you know, prior to 2005 when we're just wondering whether we're ever going to get there again, uh, we've experienced that. So why can't we let everyone else experience that? Conceptually, it, it's probably not unlike the concept of, of an Olympics for, for world football. In that, Not that it incorporates every country and everyone's invited, but because we're growing the numbers, it's the same sort of thing. If you're going to go to the Olympics and, and you want to see underdogs rise and, and, and have a taste of the glory, an expanded World Cup format is an opportunity for everyone to showcase just what they've got. Absolutely. New Zealand is celebrating. Because <laughs> especially uh, they're, Oceania, assuming, they're assuming they're, they're getting... Assuming. They're getting direct entry, but they'll get shafted. So, like you know, we, we called uh, Sep Bladder Sep the Rat Bladder. <laughs> what do we call Johnny if uh, they don't get... Oh, uh, let me think about it. Surely Oceania need a, one full spot. Anyway, we'll that's see. another discussion. It's uh, 17 past 11. Yes, as uh, promised, of course, it's now time for our very special interview, and it's uh, my great pleasure to introduce the general manager of <laughs> Lanaxang United FC in Laos, Kaz Patafta. Kaz, welcome to the Four Diego's. Thanks so much. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be back on here. I think it's been quite a few years. It has been quite a few years. We've spoken to you a few times. It's Rodrigo Rodriguez here. We've got Vinny Venezuela and Carlos Alberto Diego. Now, a lot of people might be surprised that I've introduced you as the general manager of Lennox Zang United. I hope I've said it correctly. Um, you know, instead of instead of you know the the footballer um, and the star of Lennox Zang United, tell us. Uh, Firstly, tell us what you're doing, and, and secondly, have you sacked any coaches yet? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that because we've, during my my uh, one year period, I think we've actually had about two or three. So um, <laughs> whether that's a good or a bad thing, but no. Uh, in all honesty, um, this this role is, is something that I've worked on for a while. I've kind of been been away from the um, the scene a little bit, um, so to speak. I've I've um, spent a couple of years now. Um, educating myself and it was something that um, <clears throat> after football I really wanted to get into the administration side um, so to have the opportunity now at, at a relatively young age is, is fantastic and, and to be involved with a, with a team that's competing in um, you know a, a decent level in Asia is, is, is exciting. Kaz, Vinny Venezuela here, how hands-on are you with that team sheet mate? Do you... Um... <laughs> Do you put ticks and crosses beside things, or do you just sit back and let the the gaffer do his job? Oh, look, I, my my way of thinking is, if you're going to bring coaching staff in, you know, you you want to give them a good opportunity to do what they're doing. So, 
Um, that's my philosophy anyway. And we've got a good coaching staff. Um, they're all Brazilian coaches who, who've got a lot of experience in the Middle East and Asia. I do actually do the ticks and crosses, but um, <laughs> they're, they're, picking, they're picking the 11. So um, it's, it's something that's worked for us so far. We, we actually went 23 or 24 games unbeaten with one draw and we, we ended up losing the other night to Broome United. So we've had a very good run and, and you know, it's, it's not pure luck. It, it, it's, it's hard work and it's teamwork. So um, things have been going well. Kaz, it's Carlos. Um, now, of course, you've played for the Manchester United of Australia in Melbourne Victory. Uh, is uh, Lenazang United in Laos the Manchester United of uh, Laos? Look, I'd, I'd say we're... We get it's definitely going that way. I, we've we've only been around for three seasons now, so um, we've we've just won the the Lao Premier League title here and, and runner up in the Mekong Cup, which is an Asian tournament. Um, so it's probably the first time that a lot of people have actually heard about the club, um, being that it's such a you know it's such a new sort of um, setup. So um, I'd like to say that we're We've, we do have such a large support base and we, we're hoping to be a Manchester United equivalent here. But, um, you know, we're just taking it day by day and step by step to to really boost our football because there's definitely um, some amazing talent here. Now, Kaz, tell, tell us, how exactly did you did you find this position? Were you just sort of backpacking through Laos <laughs> and um, there was a job advertised? You thought, what the hell, I'll go for it. Don't know how I'm going to cope with the interview because uh, I don't know how good your, your Laotian is. But uh, how did it fall, fall across your, your lap? Yeah, that, that would have been a good story, actually. But that's, not how, that's not how it happened, unfortunately. But um, no, my mum my was, was born in Vientiane, so it was definitely a... Uh, country that I eventually wanted to to live in and, and at least um, experience the culture and, and I, I do have family here as well um, but through um, just family ties and connections um, I was introduced to a very successful businessman in his own right um, our president Mr. Pantajitintilat who um, is a large developer in the energy space here and um, he's just a, an absolute um, you know, he's a he's a huge, huge football supporter. He's a massive fan. He's an advocate for developing this talent here in, in Laos. And um, I came over here initially to to see if um, there was a chance for me to assist with the Laos national team initially as a player. But definitely, my mind was was more on the administrative side, and and that's how it's come about. Kaz, um, I've got to say, when I mentioned to people, once we'd organised this interview a couple of days ago and I mentioned to people we're going to have Kaz, it just showed me how, how much loved you are in this uh, in Victoria and I'm pretty sure in other places you've played throughout Australia, you're just very well respected and much loved for a young footballer. Can you take us back to you know your early days i mean you you certainly were a prodigy of australian football and uh you, you know i think captaining an underage team uh an australian team you found yourself on the books of benfica and if you do your research on um and i'm sure you have but i mean the, if the listeners do their research on the top 10 academies around the world benfica is one of those academies and you were selected to be as part of that prized academy can you tell us a little bit about your early days and how does someone in australia have the technical ability at such a young age to be able to be identified by a club like Benfica? Yeah, look, if, if I'm honest, um, my time with Victory was, was fantastic. I, I know um, 
you can see it in, in a positive or negative light depending on, on which angle you look at it. But all in all, Melbourne has always, um, especially with the victory, I was, I was treated tremendously there and as a player and, and I still keep in contact with a lot of the, the staff and players. So Melbourne was, was fantastic and it was uh, definitely like a second home for me. In terms of um, Benfica, Europe was always somewhere that I wanted to venture to and I think most young players in Australia of course, have that dream and, and, and they want to play for the top clubs. And um, to be honest with you, I think my last, my greatest mentor in the game was, was Ange Postacoglu. Um, and, and, and now, of course, he's, he's so well regarded and so well known. But at that time, he was the, he was my, you know, under 17 national team coach. And, um, but I, I learned most of what, what I know in football from him. And, and I've taken that into the administrative side and it, and it, and it's working. It's, you know, we're seeing a lot of success here. Um, but, I, you know, I'd have to give a lot of credit to to the support that he gave me and the opportunity that he gave me to captain the country at a young age and, and, and be able to showcase what I was capable of doing at a young age, um, which which in turn allowed me to, to, to join one of, like you said, one of the um, arguably best academies in the world. And Port- the Portuguese are producing some great talent. Um, but... The, the next step in terms of going from as a youth player to senior football is something that um, you know it's it's there's no there's no clear picture of how it's going to happen. Everyone develops differently, and and for me, I, I took a different path to some of my peers. But um, it's not something that I that I that I regret. I mean, I I came back to Melbourne on loan. I was still um, on contract with Benfica, and I, I thought at the time it would would be the best move. And and you know that's. That's football. You 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 never look back. You don't regret any moment. But I mean, the thing that I did was I, I gave it my all as a player, and, and I, I was very very happy with with how my uh, career panned out. And and you know, I'm I'm even more so grateful and happy of, of where I've been able to to achieve now. And and I wouldn't be in the position I'm in if it wasn't for those um, testing times. And Kaz, uh, you know, Ange Postecoglou has been quoted saying that. Uh, you you were probably the most technically gifted player he's coached in Australia, which is unbelievable given the fact that he'd coached a number of youth uh, national teams plus you know some great teams at Brisbane Roar and in Melbourne Victory before he took on the Socceroos job. For the kiddies out there who are listening late at night here because it's holidays, school holidays, I mean, how did how did you refine your skills at a really young age? Because you were you're one of the best juniors in the world at, at 15 and 16, so you must have been able to secure you know that those refined skills at a young age was was it just a natural sort of progression for you or did you do a lot of you know hard work what 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 was it about your skill development that sort of cast you aside from everyone else yeah look i you know the thing that i would say to a lot of young players especially a lot of young players that i'm that i'm working with here in our academy program the main thing is to be on the ball every day and and that's something that you know i, I never um left the ball it was just not a day that I, that I wouldn't be doing something, whether that's just touching the ball or, or playing. I mean, I played a lot of schoolyard soccer, and, it, and you go back to the South Americas of the world and, and these sorts of places where the kids are playing in the street, and that's something that I just love about Lao. Um, and not many people know about it, but you know, I, I can walk in the streets at night here, and there's kids playing football. You know, just a five-a-side in the street uh, because that's all they've got. And and you you tend to find that's where most young players will develop a lot of their skills and, and their abilities. But, you know, I, I do have to pay a lot of credit to the youth national teams and also the AIS program um, under Steve O'Connor when I was there. And, and 
and that's where I really got that next level of you know tactical and and, and fitness and physical attributes that um, I really needed to to get to that next level. So, but all in all, I'd say for for any young player, you know, you, you just you constantly need to improve and you just need to be playing. Kaza, if there's a five-a-side game on and you're walking past and one team's getting pumped, do you just start playing? <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd want to, but these, these kids would just run rings around me now. So, um, no, but in all honesty, you know, I, I do play socially and, and, and I always love the game and, and I have a kick about here and there, but uh, my passion definitely lies in uh, in producing young talent now and, and, and obviously focusing on our first team and, and uh, putting Lau on the map. Hey, Kaz, you were actually um, part of, and a lot not people might not remember this, and but football followers will. You, you were in the train on squad for the World Cup, for, you know, in the 20, 2006, and so were Neil Kilkenny and Christian Sarkis, I believe. <laughs> you know, you were the three that were chosen by Gus Hiddink. What was that like? Just as a memory, oh, because that, we, we probably asked yeah. you back then, but uh, <laughs> as a memory, what, what's it like? What was that like? Oh, it's something that I'll never forget. Um, you know, I'll always take that with me, and, I, and I'll cherish those memories. And and the the players at that time, of course, were were some of the best national team players that we've seen. So to be able to be around them and 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 learn my trade, at, I think I was 17 at that time. Um, in a in a World Cup setup, you know, in Germany under Gusting was 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 amazing. But again, you know, as a young player and being in that moment, that's that's why you you train hard. That's why you that's what you play for. And 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 at that time, I knew that I had the ability and the capability to be around those boys. Um, you know, the future sort of went a different way. But um, in that moment, I was you know definitely um, doing all I could as well to show that the, that I was capable. And um, you know, I'll never forget that experience. Uh, one last one before we let you go there, uh, Kaz. Uh, FIFA overnight has, uh, in its infinite wisdom, has uh, declared that 48 teams are going to be going to the World Cup from 226 uh, onwards. Um, is there a chance you'll be, uh, what, uh, what 20 or 36? 30, or 38 at that stage? Is there a chance you might pull on the boots for layoffs <laughs> if there are a chance to get into the World Cup? Because it seems like everyone else will make it. Uh, and I reckon at 38, you'll be just so mature. You won't be injured at all because you wouldn't have played very much between times. So uh, any uh, temptation of you maybe playing for Laos in, in the 226 World Cup? I think I'll be better suited to probably just doing the picks and crosses in the change room before the match, to be honest with you. So, no, look, I... Um, you know, I think it's positive for, for these types of nations um, that I'm involved with, especially in the Asian region and Southeast Asia, because, um, you know, the, the Asian region is, is very competitive. Um, but what it does now is it, it gives other nations some hope. And, and what that will do is, I think, in turn, it will, it, will, it will allow or it will give reason for the federations around here to invest more in, in the youth and the national team setup, um, which, is, which is lacking at times. So... Um, I hope it becomes a positive um, move, and I know that there's still some discussion to be to be had on it. But um, especially in these regions, I see it as a, as a positive move. Because uh, by then you'll be the uh, CEO of Guangzhou Evergrande. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you've got to aim for, mate. Think big or, or Melbourne victory. But uh, hey, mate, uh, we really appreciate your time as always. Hey, good luck on your you know your your career as an admin- football administrator or a sports administrator. Um, we know you've got a law degree, so. Um, you know, keep keep on working hard. Make sure the ticks, checks and balances are <laughs> on the audit now instead of on the football sheet. But um, and, and the next coach you sack there, Kaz, can you just sort of uh, just sort of 
credit it to the Four Diego's yeah, right. and just sort of say that was for the Four Diego's yeah, there. So, right. <laughs> yeah, definitely, I won't, I won't, I won't forget this conversation. But I, I really hope uh, victory can uh, catch Sydney this year. So I'll be, I'll be watching closely. Well, uh, mate, we'll keep watching your career as an administrator. But we really appreciate your time here on the Four Diego's. Thank you so much. There's Casper uh, Tafter, the GM at uh, Lanning Zang United FC in Laos. Let's take a break now and come back with more of the Diego's on 1116 SEN. Football is like a religion to me. I worship the ball and treat it like a god. Too many players think of a football as something to kick. They should be taught to caress it and treat it like a precious gem. This has been a hot and sweaty but strangely arousing Pelé moment by the Four Diegos. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday night edition of the Four Diegos. We're on tomorrow night. Uh, it is a final whistle when uh, Adelaide United take on Melbourne City. It's an away game for City. So uh, make sure after the game, um, which has been called on SEN, of course, uh, that you check in with the Diegos at 10 and uh, give us a call on the Diegos Hot Topic. Rodrigo, how well spoken was Casper Tafta? Oh, very I impressive know. young man, actually. Yeah, only twenty-eight. You know what a fantastic thing to do. You know he he can go over there. You know it's it's you know it's a it's a burgeoning economy. And this, uh, but there's so few uh, football administrators here in this country who were former players. Yeah. And he, this guy's dedicated his life to the game as a as a young kid. AIS, he's you know he's been at some fantastic academies around the world, and at the tender age of twenty eight, mm. become an administrator. I mean, this guy's primed to one day be. And I, you know, with all due respect to Robbo <laughs> at Melbourne Victory, but he's primed to come in. Oh, he'll be looking at succession plans. Absolutely, yes. yeah, yeah, that's right. The Eddie McGuire's succession <laughs> plan. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's just ready to to take over. Uh, and you know, in his thirties, he'll be as well uh, prepared for a position like a CEO or a general manager of an A-League club as anyone would be. And the lesson to the kiddies is you, you take the round ball into your lectures and your, <laughs> and your schooling and, and yeah. you get a good education yeah. so that when, when the football ends, you've got mm. another pathway as well. But I want, you know, I didn't get a real chance to talk about what went wrong in his career uh, and whether it was his fault or whether the attitude of Australian football just didn't know how to nurture and get the best out of this kid. Because as I said, when I, when I asked him, you know, how does a kid with his, you know, developed the technical ability that he had to be able to be identified by, by Benfica, who just don't pick up any schmuck, they pick up the best in the world and they, they, they nurture them. And if you do your homework, as I said, you know, they're in the top 10 youth academies in the world. So, um, you know, that sort of talent you've got to nurture, you've got to somehow get the best out of because uh, there's obviously something there and obviously we couldn't do it here in this country, unfortunately. Hey, before before the before we spoke to uh, Kaz, we were talking about, uh, of course, uh, Gianni Infantino's model of uh, 48 teams in the World Cup being approved by FIFA. Uh, did we, we didn't talk. Obviously, we're now in the Asian Confederation. Yep. We were in the Oceania Confederation. Yep. There has been some talk that we should go back to Oceania. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and the reason is because of the fact that if there's an automatic spot, we'd get in there every time. Because mm. we'd just have to play New Zealand. And maybe once every three World Cup rotations, they'd get lucky and maybe get through instead of us. But, um, but you, know, I, you know, the suggestion that we've got to go back there, I think is short-sighted, really. Uh you know, we we have qualified for the last what three World Cups? Last three World Cups yep. from Asia, yep. and um, and we've done it quite comfortably each time. So, how comfortable do you want to be 
and have meaningful games. If you're going to go back to Oceania, yes, you might qualify every time, but who's going to be rocking up to, to the games against Tahiti at, uh, at Etihad Stadium or, you know, uh, Vanuatu and, uh, and Solomon Islands? Apparently Archie has put his hand <laughs> up for right. all of those he games. Wants to play for all those games. <laughs> and uh, will, we, will it be a return back to those days where, you know, a lot of the Aussies abroad, our good players saying, oh, look, you know, I've got a bit of an injury. I'm not coming back for the Solomon Islands game or I'm not coming back for the, you know, for the Vanuatu game. And uh, for me, if you want to kill... The brand of the Socceroos, go back to Oceania. Go in Asia because every game means something. And I like it where, you know, we're still wondering whether we're going to qualify at this stage. And we will, but the fact that we wonder is good. There's still a little bit of nervousness. I think the first one was uh, Oceania, though. Remember, I think we... Exactly right. That's right. 2005 was our last qualification for Oceania. But uh, the last, uh, the next two has uh, been uh, been through Asia. So, uh, and, and we've done it pretty comfortably in the end. You know, it's it's a little bit scary right now. But when I say a little bit scary, that's because we've got you know the second round of games to come up, and we should be able to do the business, especially the ones at home. I mean, there was discussion about the impact that it would have on the qualifiers, and uh, you know that it wouldn't be as exciting, especially if Asia picks up what the mooted what is it eight. Is it eight? Um, yeah. Eight spots? That, that's not been confirmed yet because that, no. that's yet to be ratified by the Exco. Is that, are they still calling it the Exco? <laughs> I'm not sure they're calling it something else. Have they? Yeah. They've had to I'd rebrand change that. it. Yeah. I would change that. A lot, yeah. of them, a lot of them aren't in the game anymore. In yeah. fact, they're in the big house, a lot of They've them. They've been excommunicated, <laughs> haven't they? Yeah. Um, anyway, but uh, obviously it takes a bit of, the, bit of the excitement out of the qualifying phase if, if yeah. you know, the same teams are going to get through all the time. But anyway. Because we've got a bigger... In Australia, it's not just qualifying for World Cups. We've got to be able to have something to talk about in the media on a day-to-day basis. If you're, if you're taking away the Japan games and the South Korea games and the Iran games, these really big games in Asia, uh, and you've got those three teams, you should be loving the fact that you'll have something to talk about in the media to compete with all the other media noise out there, all the other sport. If, you, if you're playing Solomon Isle and Vanuatu, with all due respect to those developing countries, which, uh, you know, they're plucky and, you know, they're... <laughs> They're getting better all the time. I'm sorry, they're not going to give us a back page of the Herald Sun or, or you know, the Age or some of the other. You know, Channel Nine's not going to do a report on on us playing those those guys. So, um, yeah, it, there's so much more attached to, you know, uh, to this ra- other than going to the World Cup. Oh, no. I also think there are other opportunities that come from for us from being in Asia in terms of marketing and advertising and and mm. just uh, creating pathways for. For all sorts of ventures to, oh, to come to fruition, business, yeah, all absolutely. That sort of stuff, yeah. Just off the text message, it's just obviously we're talking about the uh, forty-eight teams from twenty twenty-six. It's just to make sure India and China get through and the associated dollars. <laughs> it's true. I'm not sure both those countries are actually right now guaranteed to be in the uh, you know top eight of. Um... No, well, China. <laughs> I think the last time China made a World Cup was in two thousand two when they held it. That's you know, right. with uh, that, you that's know, the joint, only way yeah, with Japan, but... yeah. So uh, and um, or with Korea, I think it was Korea and and China. But the um, uh, and India, they're dying for India to make it. Wow, because of the, you can you imagine the uh, the TV audiences from India if they ever made it? It'll be unbelievable. Mm. Hey, um, Marie, off the text message. Hi guys, well done, Ronaldo, winning more awards. Uh, he's just obviously well. I mean, in relation to what Marie's just talking about, he won the FIFA Player of the Year, and he himself has said that it's the, his greatest year ever. Does he say that every year? Did he vote? <laughs> he, he, d- he did. does. He did vote. Uh, and they, what they do, because right. they're, so, they're so... 
you know, the Messi and Ronaldo are sort of, they're owning the awards, you know, the Blonde Doors and the FIFA, the FIFA Player of the Year. They refuse to vote for any other players other than their own teammates. So they're showing loyalty to their teammates and they only vote. So Ronaldo, I think, voted for, um, uh, it was Ramos and someone else. I can't remember who they did, uh, who he did, but uh, Messi, I think, did uh, Neymar and Suarez, I think. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, they, they look after each other. It's all political. Uh, but it was interesting. Ange Postacoglu didn't even vote for Messi. Yeah, no, really and uh, uh, Gary South Southgate didn't vote for Messi, and uh, Wayne Rooney voted for Vardy. <laughs> Vardy, well, why not? They had a good year. <laughs> How long before someone like Suarez wins something? Because I mean, when these two retire, when they yeah. do you think yeah. that's what it's going to take? Oh, them no, to I, no, I, I just I think you know it doesn't take much really in that you know Ronaldo started this year quite slowly. If you remember this season, quite slowly he he had. Um, I think with his injury after the Euros, it took him a while to get into it. And so you can have these flat periods. And even, even Messi, I think, went, a bit of, went through a bit of a quiet uh, sort of spell there. And they're not machines, these guys. They're going to have these moments. And when that happens, suddenly a Suarez, who's been really, really good uh, for, for a couple of years now, for many years at uh, in Barcelona and Liverpool, he's got to be close. If he just can put it together while these guys have their lulls, he may well be the one that uh, might surpass them one day. But uh, surely um, Ronaldo's winning this on the back of the fact that Portugal won the Euros. That, and know, also Real and Madrid. The season, yeah. And yeah, the season won the Champions that he League. Had last year, yeah, that's yeah. right. And he just scores a truck of goals. He's unbelievable. Yeah. He's really. very good. Yeah. He is very, very good. So he is the FIFA Player of the Year. But don't tell him he'll get a big hit. No, he knows, Vinny. He doesn't need <laughs> us to tell him. Hey, Scott from Craggie Burns called in and wants to talk about the uh, World Cup and the expansion thereof. G'day, Scott, and welcome to the Four Diego's. Evening, Amigos. How are you? Yeah, really good, bad, mate. Thanks. Welcome back, Vinny. Oh, thank you very much, Scott. Good to be back. Yeah, gee, you couldn't be back while we're flogging teams and giving it the one, mate. <laughs> um, I knew someone would anyway. With the extra 16 teams, that means we're going to have an extra 32 or possibly 48 games before the knockout stages. How long is the World Cup going to go for? Six months? Uh, no, they, no, they reckon it's going to be another week. Another so week. And that, yeah, so it's, it'll be another week. But they reckon the team, the teams that go all the way, will still play the seven games somehow. I don't know how that works. Uh, but I look, I haven't seen the little, the nitty gritty of the whole thing. Uh, but they've got a, ten years to work it out, mate. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm pretty sure they'll they'll sort it out that way. Um, the, the, UEFA's arcing up about it. Uh, there are clubs arc, arcing up about it because the pressure on players already. Uh, you know, with big workloads of the number of teams, uh, sort of games they've got to play. Uh, but really, ultimately, it's all about what FIFA want and they're going to get it. Thanks for your call there, Scott. Really appreciate it. Hey, let's take a break now. And when we come back, it uh, will be Mike McGrath from the UK. This is the Four Diego's on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. On becoming owner-manager of Hereford United in 1997, Graham Turner said... The first thing I'll do is negotiate a pay rise, give myself a 10-year contract, and then sack myself. This has been a profound coaching moment by the Four Diegos. Here we are on the uh, Wednesday night edition of the Four Diegos. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're still trying to catch Mike McGrath, who seems to have gone AWOL at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, still trying. Um, Anyway, but uh, guys, before if we'll keep trying, Mike, and uh, we'll talk about English Premier League. But uh, as I said earlier, we've got a couple of final whistles coming up here on 11.16 SEN, 10pm tomorrow night after SEN's call of Adelaide United and Melbourne City, of course. Adelaide sitting on the bottom. Um, 
and uh, obviously losing to uh, Melbourne Victory last week. But uh, City City ha- need to win this. I mean, they need to win mm. every game. But to they're sitting, they're currently sitting third. But uh, this is a must-win game for Melbourne City. Isn't every game a must-win game for no, Melbourne well, City? Well, the, yes, but but going to Adelaide and and mm. City have, have got a habit yep. of. You know, capitulating. Kind of capitulating a little bit, and they've been better this year. Mm. But, yeah. um, but this is a yeah. I think in the, I think in the um, sort of suggestion that they they'll crumble like they used to is probably not not all that accurate these days because they're a team. You know, they probably went through a little bit of a what do you call a slump. They lost one game in five uh, after the FFA Cup, uh, and they won last week against West Sydney. And I thought. They were, it was pretty comfortable. I mean, they could have drawn, I suppose, in the end if, if Lachlan Scott was was uh, sharper in front of goals for West Sydney Wanderers. But but ultimately, I think uh, City had that game pretty much in hand. In a week, a lot of turmoil when their coach, mm. much loved John Van Skip, had to leave the country and Mike Volcanus had to take over. A lot of question marks about whether Volcanus and you know Montemuro and Palisades and these guys who had to step up can do the job. So... Um, you know, given that circumstance, I think that was a good win last week. But, you know, Adelaide, they're not playing badly. So they're playing at home. Their fans apparently protested at the end of the game last week and they had a crack at the committee and, you know, they're, they're saying they're not, they haven't recruited well and all that sort of stuff. So I wonder, you know, whether Adelaide will respond. And, but then again, City have got to expect that. And they've got a team that can should be able to withstand whatever Adelaide throw at them. But Adelaide will play well and they might react positively after losing against victory last week. I mean, it's amazing what you can do with a back four, Carlos. So Valcanis went the back four, yeah. I believe, and uh, just changes the whole tone of the team and its capacity to defend. But I think, uh, Rodrigo, Adelaide, it's a bigger game for Adelaide, really, <laughs> than it is for Melbourne City. Like, at home... Given the season that they're having, they've they've got to win things. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and look, they've got their Asian Champions League game coming up very soon. Also, uh, their form is awful in the. Well, their form isn't bad, but their results are really poor in the A League. Uh, and you know, the reaction of of the club after last week, if they don't react really positively after losing against Victory last week. I think it's over for them this season. They've got probably one last shot at probably trying to rectify things. They have to beat City tomorrow night at home. Uh, but City can't afford to not get the result either because they're sort of starting to now drop off a little bit from the top two. And, um, and that, you know, they, they've got designs on winning things this year. You know, uh, uh, on top of the FFA Cup, they've already won. We love Gear more, but how safe is he at Adelaide given uh, the fact that uh, they're just yeah. not having a season? Oh, I think it's uh, he's so well-respected that, He'd probably walk before that they sack, they sack him, and uh, he could walk but, to Melbourne. Yeah, Carlos. exactly. Well, the, it's funny because I I believe today he ruled out the possibility of coming to Melbourne City because there was a lot of talk about uh, him maybe coming to Melbourne City and being the new head coach here. The relationship with Pep Guardiola over in Manchester City and the fact that you know, it's all pretty incestuous now these days. Any of the Spanish coaches around the world, Gombauer and these sort of guys, they all know each other, all from Barcelona they seem to be. And uh, and I think um, it was just, it's one of those ones where, you know, he's had to come out today and rule it out. And if he's done that, I think the club said, listen, you're safe until the end of the year. He was probably going to go at the end of the year anyway. 
whether he comes to City is another thing, but I think he was going to go anyway. And I think there's a lot of respect there, especially after what he did last year. He just doesn't matter what happens to them this year. You don't sack a coach like that. No, no absolutely. he's a good guy. And victory uh, in a really interesting game. Victory take on Brisbane Raw on Friday night. Uh, and victory are in fantastic form. And, and Brisbane are in, you know, so-so form at the well, moment. Well, they lost the last yeah. two in a row. And... Uh, and they're going to be so combative. Can you imagine Ross Aloisi and John Aloisi at training? Those guys get pretty angry, those guys. Good guys, but they'll, they'll get pretty angry at training. And those players will get pretty angry. But the problem they've got at Brisbane at the moment... getting angry. Yeah, the problem they've got at Brisbane at the moment, though, is that many of their players are off contract and no one's talking to them. So surely, you know, I know they're all professionals and they should still rock up and play with the same intent. But, you know, if they're not talking to them, you're feeling a bit disrespected, Vinny. What, what happens is, you know, you might... Not give that extra couple of percentage. Are you going to say, I'm not on contract, therefore I'm not going to get angry? <laughs> I'm going to be indifferent to, in your yeah. training session. I know. And it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a situation throughout the league, actually. A lot of players are on short-term contracts and they don't know what their future is. And so they're, you know, they're off looking elsewhere, whether it's in Asia or other clubs. And, and it's going to take your eye off the ball, if you're, if you're, especially if you're vying for you know, finals positions and a team like Brisbane are so competitive and so combative that if they're not at their best, uh, they're going to lose games, which they have in the last two weeks. And speaking about contracts, Fox Sports is reporting that John Aloisi um, is likely to sign a contract uh, extension with uh, Brisbane Rules. Wow. So they're going to be putting some uh, some extra years into, into the club, he and his brother, so they'll remain angry. Well, that, mean, <laughs> that, that means that Adelaide uh, have not been talking to him quietly because I would have thought bringing the Aloisi boys back, if they had designs on getting rid of Guillermoore, but bringing back the Aloisi boys, I thought that would have been top of their list. Carlos, you're going to bring back the Aloisi boys when you get that second team in Adelaide. That's what you're going to do. Yeah, interesting. Hey, let's take a break. Now, looking forward to these uh, two games. Tonight's show is brought to you by Tax Talk, Best on Plumbing, and the Northern Football Academy at St Monica's College in Epping. This is the Four Diego's on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of football. Thanks for your company tonight. It is the home stretch, Vinny Venezuela. Carlos, I want to know, and Rodrigo, should pe- players like Robbie Cruz or Danny De Silva, who aren't really playing that much, just come back to the A-League and, and get that game time? Well, there's talk, of course, of Robbie Cruz going over to China for the for the big bucks, obviously, and then Daniel De Silva not getting any game time where he's in Holland at the moment. Uh, look, the the issue about it's a it's a it's a career decision, a business decision in many respects too, Vinny. Uh, Robbie Cruz has become a millionaire playing off the bench in Germany for the last five or six years, and you know he'd be well remunerated here, but it's just you know it's just not the same, and uh, and. The, uh, young De Silva might benefit by coming back here because he wouldn't be on top dollar there in Holland. Uh, you know, it's just average wages anywhere be- below you know the likes of um, Feyenoord and uh, and uh, Ajax. Uh, all the others that get average uh, average wages, so he might be a good might be a good move for him to come back. It'll be interesting to see where those boys turn up. That's it for the, uh, tonight's show. We're back tomorrow night for the final whistle at ten. So remember, Carlos, wherever Puerto Rican girls hang out, we're there. there. Wherever you samba, rumba, and la bamba, we're there. there. Wherever there's girls with fruit on their head and balls at their feet, we're there. there. Wherever gringos play football, we're there. We are the 48. Olé. Olé.